So, Larry, the big issue everyone's discussing is can the Fed bring about what is called a soft landing? I guess that's to say avoid a recession. As you know, Bloomberg did a survey of 72 economists that show the economists are getting more and more skeptical. It's up to 27.5 percent in April. Before, it was 20 percent. If you go two months back, it was 15 percent. Look, I think the risks are going way up. 27.5 percent this year, because next year is riskier than this year, translates to something getting towards two-thirds for a two-year period, and I'd be a bit above that in my judgment. Here's the key fact. We have never had a moment in the United States when inflation was above four and unemployment was below four, when we didn't have a recession two years within the next uh, two years. So we may pull it off, and certainly it's hugely important that we succeed in pulling it off, but the combination of overheating followed by policy delay followed by supply shocks means I think it's a very difficult set of uh, challenges and recession in the next uh, couple of years is clearly more likely than not. Some of the banks are starting to move in that direction. Your survey moved in that direction, and I suspect that's how the consensus will evolve. And, Larry, I feel like we're caught a little bit between the rock and the hard place. That is between inflation on the one hand and recession on the other. And we worry particularly about how the people who are less fortunate are affected. You have a research paper from the National Bureau of Economic Research this week talking about what happens with wage growth. You would like to think that when wages grow, that helps everybody, not necessarily so. Here's the, here's the fact, uh, David, if you just look at nominal wage growth, just measured wage growth, and growth in workers' purchasing power, up to a point, perhaps 4 percent, 4.5 percent, they move together. But past that point, because when inflation's running above 4 percent, you start to have inflation, th serious inflation, things move in the high opposite direction, and higher wage growth seems to go with lower growth in workers' purchasing power. That's why I was so anxious uh, on this show over the last year about the possibility of overheating uh, labor markets. And unfortunately, that's what seems to be uh, materializing with average real wages having one of their worst performances over the last year uh, that we have seen. Larry, we've got a big event coming up on the weekend. That's the first round of in the presidential election over in France. We have Marine Le Pen, who was often thought to be just almost impossible to elect, although it's a closer race at the moment than we would have thought. What's going on there? Look, I'm not a political expert on uh, France, but what I see is eerily reminiscent of the period before Brexit in the U.S., in the, in the U.K., and the period before Donald Trump's 2016 election in the United States. I think by far the more likely thing is that President Macron will win. But we have to recognize that the fact that Marie Le Pen will ultimately be elected looks at least as plausible now as Donald Trump's election did a bit before the U.S. election or as Brexit did a bit before uh, the British uh, election. So I think we need to be nervous as we watch that situation. And all people of goodwill 
have to be standing with uh, the French uh, people. But I think this shows uh, the power of um, pocketbook issues for regular people and frustration with uh, elites, which has been a potent political force all over the world. Again, I think this is going to end with President uh, Macron, but nobody should be serene or complacent that that's the case. And part of the reason why Ms. Le Pen is catching up with Mr. Macron actually has to do with Ukraine, because Mr. Macron has really been focused on Ukraine and international issues, while Marine Le Pen is focusing on how much people pay at the gas tech and also for their food. So let's talk about what's going on now, right now with Ukraine and Russia. And my question is, is Russia really prevailing or at least fighting to a stalemate the United States when it comes to the economic war as opposed to the military war, much the way Russia seems to be losing or at a stalemate in the military war? I think we're going to need to uh, ratchet it up if we want to do grave damage to the Russian uh, economy. We can't allow it to continue to be the case that uh, Russia is able to get huge levels of hard currency from uh, the sale of products. It can't continue to be the case that there's a way that the Russian financial system can connect in a global context. But that is going to mean uh, some sacrifice. And I think the question is whether the West is going to be prepared uh, to make uh, those uh, sacrifices. Uh, I certainly hope so. And I think President Biden has shown wonderful leadership uh, on this. But a huge amount depends on uh, Europe uh, right now. I hope we will be prepared to spend a dollar on arming Ukraine for every two or three dollars that we allow Russia to get in hard currency by exporting energy products uh, to uh, Europe. If we do that, Ukraine would be in a much stronger position to win this, uh, win this war and repel this uh, barbaric uh, invasion. And, Larry, in the meantime, the COVID pandemic is not over. Just ask the people in Shanghai. Look at what's happened in Shanghai. So dramatic. Who would have thought this would happen? At the same time, China seems to be backing off a little bit some of its distance from the West. For example, with respect to the audit position with publicly traded companies from China. Is President Xi feeling the pressure there? I, I think there must be sweaty palms behind the facade in uh, China right now. David, I've been saying for some time that it's a mistake to view China as a rampaging economic giant in the way that many in the United States viewed Japan at the end of the 1980s, that between exit from COVID, profound financial strains, internal uh, issues around uh, inequality, tension over state enterprises, China has real economic uh, vulnerabilities. What I'm fearful of is that those vulnerabilities will translate into hostile nationalist uh, impulses as a way of holding uh, the country together when the glue of rapidly growing uh, prosperity
starts uh, to peel and uh, flake off. So I think we need to be doing a lot of hard thinking about how we're approaching China going forward. And finally, Larry, let's finish with a couple of rapid-fire questions. First, Elon Musk, very much in the news this week because he took that big stake in Twitter. What did you make of that? Elon Musk and Twitter seem almost uh, made for each other. It's hard to imagine a less uh, passive uh, shareholder. I suspect that's going to give the business press a lot of stuff to cover going forward. And finally, Larry, I'm used to seeing your name in the front section of the New York Times, not so much the sports section. And by the way, it was tied to the Masters. I thought maybe you were competing this year. No such, no such luck uh, for me. The course record is 40 strokes uh, behind my score. But I was talking about record inflation in the Augusta pimento and cheese uh, sandwiches, which is an illustration, alas, of how pervasive inflation now is in our economy.